This episode of Happy Sad Confused is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and an incredible feature called Cover Pages. Try the new Squarespace with a free trial at squarespace.com and enter offer code HAPPY at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I'm Josh Horowitz, your fearless leader in this crazy endeavor I call a weekly podcast. This week's guest, an amazing, talented actor by the name of Mr. Jude Law. He's starring in a new movie. You guys should check it out. It's called Black Sea. It is a submarine thriller, as we talk about early on in this conversation. Uh, kind of a weird sub god what a what a pun right there i didn't even mean to make a sub genre but a mini genre unto itself that is kind of always successful there have been a lot of great submarine films and black sea is a really good one uh directed by kevin mcdonald it stars jude law it's uh got a great ensemble behind him but uh well worth your time it's out in theaters right now we cover that but we also cover a lot of other stuff. This was really a treat because Jude has crafted an amazing career working with the likes of, um, you know, Spielberg and Guy Ritchie and David O. Russell. And we cover all of those filmmakers. AI, we talk about Gattaca, one of my favorites. We talk about the time he was almost Superman. I've never heard this story before. It's an amazing story about him actually putting on the Superman costume. He's a big comic book geek. We talk about Watchmen. Uh, this was super awesome. And I, I really enjoyed it. It was great to sit down with Jude. Uh, as I said, Black Sea out in theaters now. Go check it out, but wait till after. I mean, after you listen to the podcast, because I, you're here anyway. You might as well listen to the podcast first. Uh, so enjoy this conversation, conversation with Jude Law. And as always, hit me up on Twitter, Joshua Horowitz, and go over to wolfpop.com and check out all the amazing podcasts those guys produce. Here it is, Mr. Jude Law. Very blue and white. Do you like what we've done with the place? I do. We Reminds me of one of those um, China plates. Tea set. That, that we heard you like uh, tea sets, yeah. so I've oh. been here since early morning. Very thoughtful. Actually, you know what it really reminds me of? And this is, this is whether you've seen it or not. Okay. The only titles of Olive Kitteridge. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. It's very good. I've heard. Francis very good. always kills it. Uh, yeah. Whether you know it or not, we are both capturing video and you're in the middle of a podcast. Do you feel the, the podcast magic in the air? What does that mean? It means audio. Like people can just enjoy this. They're on the treadmill. Like They're right now. Well, not live. Oh, I see. But. So you, you, it's audio meaning that when you put it out there. Yes. You can just download it on the radio. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. You, it sounds like you're not a podcast consumer yet. I'm not really. No, I'm pretty old. I, I just listen to the radio That's still. Okay. That's okay. I'm, I'm proud that I can actually make an email work. <laughs> we won't put you to the test today. Don't okay. worry. It's all good. Uh, it's always good to see you. Congratulations on this one, man. Thank you. It's a good piece of work. And, uh, and I should say, in the last couple of weeks, I've seen both Black Sea, and I'm, and I'm very privileged that I also got to see uh, Spy early on. Oh, you did? So I've seen the two sides of Jude Law, of, yeah. uh, of a suave, suave idiot to desperate <laughs> man on a mission, yeah, yeah. Um, which uh, speaks well to the, the kind of choices you make and the breadth of your career. Good, good. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, I mean, this one, I was talking to your director, Kevin McDonald. Um, 
and this genre, and it is kind of a genre. It's a mini yeah. weird genre of all, all its own. own. Yeah. But it, it's. I feel like the success rate actually is remarkably high for submarine films. Like I can't think of a lot of bad submarine films. I think of, yeah, you know, obviously Das Boot, Hunt for October, yeah. Crimson Tide, Solid. They're like. I, I wonder what that's about. How do you judge success? I mean, you mean on quality? I, I mean, I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm thinking quality. I mean, yeah, yeah no, good. That's how I judge success too. You know, it's I only of, think of box unfortunately, office. No, it's not. It's not <laughs> always applicable nowadays. I agree with you. Why that is? Who knows? Because in fact, they're they're demanding because you've not got an awful lot of gizmos and gadgets and getaways to avoid what is at its heart a piece of uh, 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 drama. Yeah. I mean, that's maybe why they work, but it's also why they're, they're tough to make. You know, you are relying on good characters, um, intense drama and reaction, and not a lot else. I mean, I guess you've already got... You're starting at a good place, because the setting lends itself to drama. High drama yeah. and high stakes. Yeah. And I guess you know that if you're going on a submarine to tell a film, something's going to go wrong. It's <laughs> not so like, that was the most successful and smoothest submarine mission we've ever been on. We'll get off and get that's the end of the film. Right. <laughs> you kind of know it's going to be one of those submarine films where, ah, not everyone's guess gonna what, something's gonna, something might break. Um, and there's always going to be the, we're, we're going down right. moment. Um, but... Yeah, I guess at its heart, it's, it, it, it reduces itself to just good, honest drama. Yeah. And if you've got good characters, which I think Dennis Kelly wrote an amazing plethora of interesting characters, I, I think he also investigated the idea that it is its own universe in a way. So whether you're, you know, we've got Russians, we've got an American, we've got an Aussie, we've got Brits from all around the country. You know, everyone's just a man on a submarine right. and you've got to work it out you've got to make it work to make the thing work yeah if you start running out of numbers you, you can't make the thing work I mean all of that plays in to our particular story I think it's smart I was saying to Kevin also it's, it's very smart in the way he's casted in that there's some amazing character actors in this yeah. that like, Scoot and Ben like kill you yeah. in all the films they're in they but they're but they only work together but they're also <laughs> yeah they're also at, that's true they're also at that level though where like anyone could die next yes you know what I mean that's like, right literally it's like that they, they, they cast kind of it thing. very very well terrific actors but you're right you don't quite know where it's gonna go next yeah and, and also, before we get to them, you know, who, who and won't die, you've also got actors that will really chew on the, on, on the meat of, of, a, of a character and bring it to life. So there are very specific characteristics to the, to the people in it. Yeah. You, know, um, you know, you know kind of who each of them is, and that makes for a, an exciting cast to watch. I mean, looking at this film, and, and you know, since we have some time to talk about sort of where you know where you've come from in terms of your career, I mean, looking at the body of work, it's remarkable in, in many respects. Uh, the thing that jumped out to me most is the directors you've worked with, mm. and I don't know if that how much of that is happenstance, how much of it is like early on you prioritized, like I'm just going to gravitate towards the guys that know what they're doing because and I remember like uh, early on like years ago when I was just like a kid looking at Tom Cruise's career and always marveling like he was smart about that he worked with Scorsese early on he mm. worked with Oliver Stone is that has that been something that you've kind of like relied on in the background thinking okay like if I'm if the if the captain of the ship knows what they're doing I'm in good hands um or is it a byproduct of just the material that you liked and it happened to have the right filmmaker attached it it well, it, uh, the truth—the truth is, for me, 
you know, you film is a really unusual career because you kind of no one ever, or certainly no one for me, takes you on one side and explains the process or how best to play the equation, you know? It happens and you deal with it as it comes. And you realize in hindsight, or I've realized in hindsight, that an awful lot of it I learned on the hoof, you know? And I was fortunate also looking back because a couple of films in, I was in a a film that got a lot of attention and suddenly therefore had the opportunity to choose from some great and very prolific directors. Is that Ripple you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, that Ripley was only my like fourth or fifth film, yeah. um, and might change my life. Um, and Oscar nomination, obviously. Oscar nomination, and 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 also just even before all of that hoo-ha, there was you know you knew people were going to see it because Anthony was very much a talent to reckon with. He just won a bunch of right. uh, 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 recognition and awards for English talent, patient. For English patient. Right, yeah. So when that happens, you realise, I guess. Or look, again, looking back, you realize, you know, prolific directors are watching that and you have the opportunity to say, oh, I'll work with Sam Mendes or I'll work with Steven Spielberg. Um, if that opportunity is not there, then obviously you can't necessarily make those decisions. But to answer your question more on, on you know, uh, uh, face on, yeah, I'm, you also learn very quickly that the person running the ship has to really has a major effect and if that person's got a great track record if that person really knows what they're doing and you would you'd do it even if there wasn't a script because yeah. you kind of know they're going to lead you somewhere great even then it's 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 less of a risk than to work with someone who's look this is my first movie yeah. i don't know you know i you know you've made 3 and i've only i've made any i mean you know you know that's going to be a challenge and i've done that since right and will continue to do it, but it's 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 risky. Because film is always a risk. You don't know. Well, even in the hands of the masters, like even the hands the of the masters, one, with a great still, script. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Ripley, though. But even before Ripley, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. There was like that year essentially where, like, you know, you had done some theater and gotten some acclaim. Obviously, I remember even growing up, like Indiscretions was a big yeah play right here in New York. Yeah, right. There was that, and then there was, it seemed like a spate of three films. It was like, what, like Midnight in the Garden, Good and Evil, mm. Gattaca, Wild. Mm. And there, in a weird way, there was a commonality of all of them in that you were kind of a paradigm of beauty mm. <laughs> in all of them, of perfection. Mm. And that's kind of a, I don't know, did that strike you at the time? Did that feel like a weight ever in terms of like, I just want to act, I want to do every kind of performance? It didn't at that time, because uh, each of those characters interested me because... I uh, I kind of saw a character in them, um, but weirdly, by the time it got to Ripley, uh, I actually turned Ripley down because I was, I mean, stupid. But I was also I was I didn't want to be in a big film and be the kind of golden boy, mm. and because I was I just I I was curious about playing. A I was always curious about the long game. I'm always been about I want to be in this. I want to be making films when I'm in my nineties. Right. I want to you know, I love the the longevity of an acting career and the curiosity of of mining who you are and what you've got for as long as possible and seeing that change and morph yeah. is really interesting to me. And I thought, God, if just cashing in and playing the golden boy with good looks is, is going to kill that. But, you know, I suppose within that, those roles all had certain quirks and characteristics that meant it wasn't solely, solely that. But having said that, you're right. And, it, and that has sometimes been thrown back in my face. And, and it's sometimes something I hear a lot of, which I'm always... Maybe I've protested too much, or maybe I've tried to go too far the other way at times, but it's always been something that I've been aware of trying to disprove, I suppose, right. and 
therefore turn stuff down and take other stuff rather than cash those chips in? Well, it is. I mean, you look at perdition, you look at this one. I mean, these are roles that you let go of your vanity. You're, you're mm. making yourself unappealing in a, mm. in a conscious effort to serve the character. Mm. And that's to your credit that you're like, okay, I have a lot of tools in my kit. A to, friend to, of mine said once, is acting is easily divided. There are vain actors and there are unvain actors. And vain actors aren't often very good. Yeah. Um, um, I, I, you know, it's up for everyone to choose who they think people are, but I've always wanted to be an unvain actor because to me, losing your vanity is page one almost of how to make a part work because you have to go, what does it take? Not, mm, well, I'll do that or right. I'm not doing that. You know, if, that's, if you're being driven by a vanity, you're kind of holding something back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all about release. It's all about what does it take to make this real and convincing and opening yourself up to new experiencing and not, and, and not just being in a box um, yeah. one of those first films I have to mention because I'm sure you get this every day it, it became a classic I don't know how big it was at the time I don't think it was huge it was Gattaca yeah. which kind of holds up as like I mean I was you know into sci-fi and, and, yeah, and genre me too. and all that I know you yeah you were right so is that something that in retrospect became brilliant to you or when you shot that were you like this is this is special That's well a I, I read it and made it, I mean, it was like my second film, and or third film, and uh, it's funny, it's interesting looking back at one's own um, naivety and innocence, I suppose, because to me, just the fact we made it, and I was in it with Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke and Alan Arkin, and DeVito was the producer, you know, I, I, I thought it was a slam dunk massive hit in my book, and of course, looking back, it actually didn't do a lot of business, right. but I knew at the time, we had made something special, and, and I knew that there was something um, that was gonna last within it. Yeah. So you grew up into genre, into comics, into sci-fi. Was that all your bag, like, growing up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just kind of a mixed bag. I just loved movies in general, but I loved, I loved science fiction. Yeah. Um, particularly literature, actually. I was a big Aldous Huxley and Philip K. Dick and Yevgeny Zamyatin, and uh, I read a lot of those. Uh, kind of Cold War um, uh, sci-fi writers. So when, when AI comes around, that must have been like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, in, yeah. I'm in a Steven Spielberg based on Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick. Did you ever yeah. meet Kubrick? No, sadly not. I mean, I mean, he was all set to be the producer, but um, right. passed away just a few months before we started. Talk about a film that I, I think, I know it was divisive at the time and probably still is to this day to a degree. Yeah, I, I'm still divided on it myself, are actually. You? Well, there are parts I think are genius and other parts I, th I, I don't understand. But I, I also, it was odd working on that film because you only got to, I only got to read sections. I didn't ever read the whole script. Oh, really? I, until I sat down and watched the film, I didn't know the whole film. Um, That's so haunting. Such a film, mm. like a, probably Spielberg's darkest yeah, film mm, yeah. in many ways. And, yeah. and, and I feel like, again, even Steven Spielberg has sometimes put it put in a box at that time. I feel like people, it wasn't what people were expecting maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm. Um, comic book wise, were you, were you into DC, Marvel? Did you have an allegiance growing up? No, I was, I was more just, I, I followed uh, Alan Moore. I mean, he was just my hero. So I read an awful lot of him. Um, so you were from hell, um, from Watchmen, hell, obviously. Watchmen, I queued outside the, the local store every week for the new one. So I have all, all oh, wow, of the so you, so you read all, it as it was coming out. I was late to it. But oh, that, no, yeah. That's that, is one, that is one of those that blows the mind of any, any like yeah, young person. Like, oh my God, comics can be a Changed whole lot my more. my life. Right? Mm. 
And th- this was one, that was a film project that I know followed you around in terms of it was like, was he, because everybody knew you were a big fan. Mm. Did you ever come close to actually doing very. it? Very, and then ended up not being able to do it because I was contracted to something else. So I was very upset that about Because I think he did a really good job. I was gonna say, what do you think? I'm kind of divided on it myself because it's such a faithful adaptation to- Very faithful. I always thought there was more in it though than one film. I th- and that's the one, mis- not mistake, because I think he got as much as he could in and I think the opening titles and how he deals with the, the whole Minute Men is brilliant. Yeah. But, but ultimately, I think it could have been drawn out more and fleshed out more. I but, remember, like you probably remember this again as a fan, I remember there was talk that Terry Gilliam was going to do it That's like, right. as like an HBO like twelve part thing, and that was in my brain. That was like okay, yeah. that was going to change the world. Me too. And I was yeah. It would have been like Chris Walken would have played Adrian. Oh yes. Uh, <laughs> Ollie Reed would have been the Joker. <laughs> this was the days like when like there was this, like this magazine Wizard where there were all these like fan speculations about like who could be cool in different roles, and now like that's all happened where the best actors are in all these comic book movies. It's yeah. so bizarre. Yeah, it is funny, isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah, it's funny. Well, that, that's the domination has, has occurred. <laughs> yeah, what, uh, it's we just needed to wait it out. Yeah. Now we're, we're where we want, want it to be. Was uh, one more comic book thing? I'm just curious again, just as a geek. You came close, reportedly, to being Superman in that Wolfgang Peterson movie. Is that true? That you like? Were you not actually going to be Superman? No, there was a time I can't. It was before the, the not the last reboot, the one before that. Yeah, with Spacey in it. Okay. There was a time before that when Brett Ratner was going to do it. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and, and was, it didn't happen in the end. Was that? Did you ever get into costume? Did you ever <laughs> wear the costume? <laughs> this is a funny story, I think. <laughs> okay. I, I, I don't know why, I, I, I mean, I'm open to it now. I mean, no one's gonna ask me to play Superman now, I'm too old, but, but at the time I was oh, I really didn't want to. I just sort of thought, I, I don't want to spend the rest of my life being that guy who played Superman right. or being right. Superman. You know, if you ever get caught smoking a fag or, you know, I mean, you're <laughs> Superman and you, you know, you've ruined the lives of all the children <laughs> around the world. And Mommy, I don't know, I why is Superman take, smoking? And, I, and also my kids, I had kids and I thought, God, daddy's super, I don't know, I couldn't quite. Yeah write it but Brett was very keen and the studio was keen you've got to come and try this and then I was in LA and I was still saying no no really really no they said we've got a great new costume you've got to try the costume I said well send the costume over let me have a look <laughs> and they have to come over with security because no one's allowed sure. the costume I said okay well I'm going to go and try it on in the, in the bathroom and I go in the bathroom put it on and look in the mirror and suddenly I, I am Superman <laughs> da, 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 da. And it, it is an amazing costume and I'll see that my chest pops up and the music comes out. <laughs> and I look and I'm like, I'm su- that's it, I've done it, I'm Superman. Sold, you're just here yeah, in the no, other no, room. No, Brett, no, no, I'm no. in. That was it. That was oh, you my got experience. it out of your system. I got it out of my system, I took it off, put it in the bag, I was like, I'm not, not gonna do it. That is amazing. Because I, I felt like I, for a minute I was. That's amazing. <laughs> and then, <laughs> that was enough. I saw myself. No need for the rest of the world to see me. Didn't take a photo? Resisted that urge? No, this is pre those days and I'd have probably rugby tackled me to the floor and beat me <laughs> Did up. Did we hear a click in there? Yeah. No? Nothing? <laughs> exactly. I'm sure I heard a <laughs> Yeah. Amazing. Uh, well, you have that forever. Exactly. And now I have that forever in my mind too, so thank you for that. <laughs> so, um, well, I mean, looking, is it astound you in a way that like you've been doing this as long as you have? Like you, you, you're now a veteran. Like you were, you know, like really? every, everyone becomes like the new kid and they're, they're hot, they've got that moment and you've written it out in an amazing way where you're still working in fantastic, every kind of film. Is this the career you imagined? Is this kind of live up to what you had hoped, what, 20 years in or whatever we're in? Uh, I never thought that far ahead. Yeah. Like I said, I was always curious and inspired by actors 
who had had sort of 40, 50 right. year careers. So by those terms, you're still a new yeah, guy. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. I guess I am. Yeah. Maybe that's why I'm not. I mean, I'm still, I, I'm just reaching that point where I'm very happy and proud that it has been, you know, as long as it's been. And yeah. then, like you say, I'm still getting jobs and, and, and still people finding, you know, and, and I've become more aware of the ebbs and flows of that, that you ride high times and you have low times, not, not because you're not working necessarily. I've been, like I said, very lucky that I have worked, but, but low times where you, you know, you see films that you believe in, that you put a lot into, that you don't get any recognition. Or, I mean, the industry's cruel like that. And you see stuff too where you know something's good and it just happens. Yeah. I mean, I had a couple of films which I thought were really good pieces of work, not just not because I'm in it, sure. but because you know it's a good piece of work. And both opened during like major snowstorms in New York, and everyone was no one was allowed out, so the opening weekend was just dead, and the film died. And you think that is an act of God? <laughs> that's like <laughs> that's brutally unfair, and, and that uh, never gets easier. I mean, it, it no, can't, can it? Because the truth of the matter is that the, these things do have to have some kind of. Uh, uh, um, recognition in, in, in financial terms. And if they don't, then you've got to kind of work out a way to make a film that does so that you can make the other stuff that right. you love or that you believe in or that you're just curious about doing. You know? And has theater been a respite for you or in good times and in less good times, you can always kind of feed the soul a well, little bit? Well, theater was a huge part of my life early on because it's, you know, you, you, I don't know whether it's, it's the same now, but when I, a kid growing up in the 70s in, in Southeast London, you, you, to say, oh, I want to be in the movies, made, you were an idiot. You, you, there was, you were a fantasist. Whereas working in the theatre was slightly more realistic and I wanted to act, so the theatre became the place where I kind of worked and trained and, yeah. and, and, and did all my early work. And then when I had a film career, I put theatre on hold for many, many years just because I was making money and doing stuff I'd never dreamed of yeah, and, and film, flying places. Filmmakers, etc. Yeah, when you don't say no to... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You kind of realise this is a once-in-a-lifetime, take it. So I went back to theatre just because I think I was starting to lose a little bit of curiosity and a little bit of faith and a little bit of, you know, um, sense of, of what I wanted to get out of it as, a, as an actor, as a craftsman. Right. And um, theatre reminds you of that because it's gruelling and it's all about you um, learning how to kind of work yourself as a, as a um, not as a machine, but as a kind of morphous, um, skilled, right. uh, 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 well, as a to, skill. Well, it gets to the essence of it all. It's like all the bells and whistles are gone, I would think, right? It's just about... Well, it's about being able to do it yeah. and repeat doing it and not making repeating boring, but make repeating fresh and also dealing with big writers. So I, I decided when I went back to only do big writers. So I did a lot of Shakespeare, I did a lot of Eugene O'Neill right. uh, and um, John Ford and people like that. Time for a quick break from the interview, guys, to talk about something very important. I'm not joking. We know this is tough building a website. It ain't as easy as it sounds nowadays. You know, you would think in 2015, it's like that, right? Well, even if you do know your way around coding, and I don't, by the way, creating something that actually looks good and works well, it's super time consuming. But the thing is, you probably need one, right? You need that business site or you need a portfolio, you need a whatever you need. You definitely need a site somewhere, right? Well, lucky for you guys, Squarespace is there to build beautiful websites without you breaking a sweat. Are you saying you haven't heard of Squarespace? It's time, guys. Go to squarespace.com and check it out. 
Or maybe you've heard a lot about Squarespace already. Well, now... There's something new, Squarespace 7. Squarespace 7 comes with a newly designed interface and 15 new templates and so much more too. Are you thinking about using it for work? Well, it now integrates Google Apps so you can connect it to your Gmail and your Google Drive and all that cool stuff, Google Forms for surveys, whatever you want. Or if you want that kind of extra polish on it, Squarespace has now partnered with Getty Images so you can take all of those stock image needs and put them in, you know, in place and manage on your site that way. And of course, all of this comes with the classic Squarespace features, beautiful design, a simple and powerful interface, 24 seven support via live chat and email, responsive design. Every website comes with a free online store. Plus it's only eight bucks a month and you get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for the entire year. Start with a trial, no credit card required. Start building your website today. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code HAPPY. That's HAPPY, H-A-P-P-Y. Get 10% off your first purchase. And to show your support for our show, that's what you're going to get in return. So thank you, guys. We thank Squarespace for their support of Happy Second Fuse. Remember, Squarespace, start here, go anywhere. Do you find that your instincts in reading scripts nowadays is, I mean, have you always had a good instinct in terms of what's going to make a good film? Are you, are you, do you Not look really. for different, no? No, I mean, I think, I think a lot more of that is, is, is I've realized it's about what the director's going to do and what the director wants to do with it. So you're, if you read a script that you're, you have questions about, mm. but there is a top-notch filmmaker attached. I'll that, usually go for it. That's exciting still. Yeah, because invariably they can make something out of it, or they exactly. maybe know, they see something in it you don't. Uh, exactly. I mean, what amazes me more and more though is how I seem to not be able to choose ones that make loads and loads of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a segue because a couple that did were Sherlock, which I got yes. a chance to spend some time with you and Robert on set a couple times and talk about a force of nature. My God, that man, um, Robert. Oh my God. Well, you are too, but like no, we all can't compare to what. No, he is extraordinary. I mean. An insane man in the best possible way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was thinking of him as magical. He's like, he's like Peter Pan. Yeah. You know? I, I don't think he'll ever change. I think at 70, he'll still, and yeah. his dad is still probably, it sounds like he's still kind of got I th- that I think you're right. interesting spirit to him. I think you're right. Is that something, I know you're asked about this all the time. I heard an interview with you, which sounded amazing, that you guys still kind of had these brainstorm sessions about yes. another Sherlock. You had an idea for a time travel movie? Who told you that? I heard this. Who, really? I heard this. Is that true or not, Jude? Well, I, I, I still think it's a good idea. So <laughs> I mean, I'm, I don't want to kind of say, it. I don't wanna... yeah, it's true, and then it kind of blow the idea out of the water. But I guess, if I'm honest, I think Robert and Guy both kind of went, what? <laughs> but I thought that was, I can't remember, I thought that was in Top Secret. I'm amazed someone's leaked that. Yeah, I, I thought, sod it, combine like H.G. Wells and Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And then that's right. Down, he topped it by going, yeah. And the time travel, mo- the time travel machine is like as big as a, you know, you, it's something you eat. <laughs> and you come in, I wonder what he's referring to there. I don't know. Like, you, you eat it and you go, oh my god, I'm, I'm in 2024. Well, he's had some experience with maybe substances that have done stuff to him. Um, maybe he's seen 2024. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It does remind me of that. I mean, you probably saw this. Like I did time after time growing up. Yeah. That one. That was a, that yeah. was a cool way in with the Ripper. Yeah, the Ripper. And that's right. And Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell, uh, David Warner. David Warner. Great. Terrifying. David Warner was terrifying. Oh as God. he was as Time death. Bandits? Yeah, yeah. yeah as Time Bandits. 
amazing. Yeah. You, you worked uh, briefly with, with Gilliam, right? Was that mm. somebody that, that seems like someone that... Well, that's a weird story, really, and a sad story, yeah, obviously, because it involves the death of Heath. But I was involved, I was going to play that part, yeah. and Terry had gone off and done all these drawings of me playing that part, and then schedules changed, and the financing changed, and it got shelved, and I went off and did something else, couldn't join in. Terry wanted Heath, so Heath took over, and, or not even took over, started making the film, sure. and um, shot the film. Heath passed away, and then the only way forward was, uh, uh, I think people know, as Terry came up with this idea that whenever the character went into this other world, which was the only section they hadn't shot, he could change it to different people. So yeah. I, I wanted to do a part because I wanted to help Terry, and I wanted to finish the film in honor of Keith, yeah. Heath, and. I, I, I wanted to contribute, and then uh, Colin and Johnny did the same. But the section that I got to do was the section that he had already drawn me doing way back. So when I suddenly got there on that day, he was like, look at these drawing boards. That's It was me on the ladder. Just act out my little cartoon. Isn't that weird? <laughs> it's bizarre. So it was a strange kind of completion of the circle. As a, as a, as a film fan, who, who were or are kind of like the those icons for you from a filmmaking standpoint? Uh... As a child, uh, Terry Gilliam had a huge effect on me. Brazil was um, the first time I remember seeing a film that was clearly adult and complex and uh, 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 nightmarish, uh, but also wonderfully funny and, and entertaining. I, yeah. I can't remember how old I was. I can't have been much into my teens. I was probably about 12 or 13. I feel like you came out like 85 or something. So yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. So I was, yeah, 13. And it just blew me away. Um, obviously, Spielberg. I mean, I don't know anyone under um, sort of 45 or 50 didn't grow up having him having a massive effect from Jaws. And, but Close Encounters for me was the one that, because again, I didn't understand it as a kid. I saw it and it just freaked me out. And I right. remember like great bits, but then like, going back later and the whole dr domestic drama at the beginning yeah. is so real and tragic and and it's like a film about obsession i, do, I remember like truly. i was a kid well, like watching that and just seeing like all those scenes of him like throwing clay at it yeah. and being like not quite understanding yeah. it and then her leaving and you're like what the family leaving they you never know what happens to the family yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what he just goes yeah 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 brilliant brilliant filmmaking uh, i was also a huge um charlie chaplin fan okay right up till like well i still am but you know i, I was kind of obsessed by him um for many many years so those are three, but recently, uh, recently I just, I'm, I'm very um, into Paul Thomas Anderson, and I desperately want to work with him. Um, please. <laughs> Talk about a guy that's just like on another level. We were actually just talking in the other room about Magnolia of all things, which yeah. I consider like Amazing just film. a masterpiece. But also how he keeps shifting gears, because I mean, all of them kind of work as a, as a, as a, as a legacy, but, but the last few have been really mind-blowing. What, did you, what did you make of Inherent Vice? Have you seen it yet? Yeah, I loved Inherent Vice. It's crazy. It but is. It's, it's... It made me laugh. And, uh, but I'm a great fan also of his idea that plot is not always necessary. Right. You know, sometimes it can be about um, feeling and, 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 and following one's nose. It is. It's a mood film, right? Mm. And it's a film I know. Like, in another filmmaker, I might, I might discount it after one viewing and say, okay, that's just impenetrable. I can't, mm. I, it's, it was fun, but I don't know what it is. But knowing him, I know I'll go back to it and it will just get more and more rich yeah, yeah. on each viewing. Was it, I mean, I think of another interesting filmmaker you've worked with, like David O. Russell, mm. who's someone that's willing to just like go out there. But I feel like I'm worked with David in a real, in a real sort of a, a, a bridge moment of his life. Yes. Um, 
he was going through, I think, quite a lot of personal stuff, and I think the film is an expression of a huge amount of, of the the, the um, crises and the, and the, and the, the, the personal sort of um, evolution and introspection and inspection that he was going through. Yeah, and he was very intense at that time. I've heard he's, he's calmed a lot, but he was he was. Scary at times. Uh, well, there was that. Really scared me, but but just um, scary and wanting how he wanted to work. Well, there Very was that infamous free. video that came out with him and Lily, right? Yeah, Which, that wasn't a true reflection though of the intensity. I mean, because because that kind of shit happens all the time, and and yeah. it, out of context, everyone kind of goes, oh, you know, he, he's badly behaved, or but, but everyone was giving as good as they got. It's not that. It's not that he was a bully. Yeah. Um, believe me, we all threw it right back at David. <laughs> but it was more because it was more the freedom. It was more like anything goes, and, you know. And 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 who's got a better idea than I have? So the thing was like, like trying to catch, you know, Quicksilver. It was like it yeah. was morphing all over the place. Um, and since then, I think he's really honed well, what he's he wants to say. Right he's now. almost done three on the trot. They've just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you look at, at like the, the landscape for film now and a film like Black Sea, which, which frankly, it's kind of a miracle a film like that even exists in this time where like we were talking franchises and comic book movies, and it feels like it's either a $150 million movie or it's... I don't even know what. It's a Netflix series. Like, yeah. and there's, there's no middle ground anymore. Although you look at a lot of the films that have been nominated for Best Picture this, is true. this year, and there's small films in there. You know, um, I think what slightly sets ours apart, Black Sea, and why it's not perhaps, you know, doesn't necessarily fit into either of those categories, because like you say, there's $150 million, there's the Netflix, or there's the award film, you know, right. is that it's, it's very, very genre It's a genre heavy. film, exactly. Um, and I think what's glorious that Kevin's done is he's, he's gone for it you know, unabashed, and he's made it gritty, and so you can smell it. You know, yeah. and the fact that it's um, rich in 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 honesty with with the Russians are Russians. Uh, you know, there's no there's no sort of backing away. Yeah, and your uh, your accent is in fine form. Is this huh. was, was, whose whose idea was that? In terms of was the character well, always Scottish on the page? Or? Kevin and I, no, they were all quite stripped on the page in a way. But I. I I went and the two sort of little things I wanted to add, at the time I was in prep for Henry V, which I went on to play on stage after the film. So this idea of a man leading the disparate few to um, to glory was very heavy in my mind. And right. the idea of rallying men by, by impressing upon them their own great skills, you know, uh, was, was, was what I was sort of studying in the Shakespeare text. So... I kind of wanted Dennis to draw on that more and more, and I think he added a couple of the speeches because of that. And then I also had this sense that, look, ma- submariners don't off- often sound like me, right. or not in the in in a sort of heroic sense. Right. And Kevin is Scottish, and I just felt that if we could find someone from the coast of the British Isles, or a, p- a place rather on the coast of the British Isles, and give Robinson a sense of this sort of it's it, they're saying grittier and granite. Granite City is what they call Aberdeen. So oh, really? I thought Aberdeen. Also, Aberdeen saw terrible uh, unemployment in the seventies, and so there's this slight tragedy to Robinson. And, and I like the idea that you know his father was maybe a docker who had lost his job, and so you see this, you know, your father figure kind of coming down to you know desperate situations, sure. and then you find yourself coming down to desperate situations, and it's this sense that. How do I get out of this rut? How does my family get out of this rut? Right. Just, just motivates him a little more. It's interesting because, like, 
I'm, I was going to ask you about kind of like process then now versus like when you're starting out. And it sounds like you still like or enjoy or need to have kind of like the pinnings, the architecture to kind of build from the ground. I do up. more and more now. Really? Yeah. It I was look instinct back on early and now it's more. Yeah, it was instinct before and curiosity and pure just sort of motivated by, by kind of exuberance, I suppose, youthful exuberance. And now. I'm like, God, I can't believe I got away with doing so little work. I mean, I did a lot of work, but now I, I love the work. I love, I love really uh, uh, constructing a whole um, past. Is, is there an actor you've worked opposite that you've gleaned the most from, you think, in terms of like, just like, that's the way I want to carry myself in terms of how I lead a set if I'm the leading man or how I approach the work? Uh, I, I'm never very good at saying, Paul Newman was an amazing man to be around because he was just such a gentleman and I don't think I've ever worked with anyone who had quite the um, history or the, 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 his, yeah, the historical post presence yeah. as he and yet he was the most humble, generous and, and civil and well-mannered human being. Philip Seymour Hoffman was incredible because he fought for truth at all costs. And it was never about nicety, it was never about, you know, shortcut, it was about how do we make this honest? And yeah. every time he tried to make something honest, it usually made the other guy look even better too. Talk about a, a testament to like a, a guy just by sheer force of will as like a character actor that became, was a leading man at times too, and just yeah. the most unlikely body, like frankly people, that's not, that's not the type that we put necessarily as the leading no, guy, but, but he was go, so... For, from, if you think about it, you know, if all you want is honesty, then, you know, the leads on paper on a film are about, you know, noble men making, you know, or women indeed, but, but talking about Philip, make, you know, noble men or making great decisions or tough decisions and seeing them through, you know, it doesn't matter what that person looks like. Yeah. If, if it's carried out with honesty and truth, you'll follow them. And that's why Philip was so able to cross that line and suddenly become a leading man because he was able to convey convincingly. Does, does the approach, is there anything that clicks in your brain differently when you know you're number one on the call sheet when you are, you're the, the Definitely, lead? Definitely, and I think that's a great responsibility that should be taken. And if, you know, Anthony Minghella was very good at putting that on, on people. He was like, this is your party. So, you know, anyone who turns up and they're number 36, 37, th that's their special day and you've got to be responsible. Set the bar high, but also welcome them, bring them in, make sure they know how it's run and what's expected of them. And yeah. You know, that means also you don't suffer fools gladly. If you turn up and you're not ready off the set, you know, you gotta turn up and know your chops and jump. Is is that is that a pet like what's a pet peeve on set? Is it if just your co I don't like people being rude. Or, yeah. You know, because the thing I love about film is the collaboration of all these incredible skill sets. I've always thought, you know, if you put a film crew on a desert island, they would build you a house, they'd wire it, they'd light it, they'd cook for you. You know, they'd make you look good. Uh, I mean, they'd film it and, you know, yeah. they'd have people to tell you stories afterwards. I mean, it, it would be, it's an amazing motley crew. Is that where you're happiest? I think obviously you've got kids, so I would think family makes you happy, but like. I'm pretty happy on film set. Yeah, I love yeah. film sets. Hmm. What, what, what are you uh, working on next? What's the next gig? I am about to embark on Knights of the Round Table with Guy Ritchie directing. Oh, so this is happening now? Yeah. Because I know it was kind of in flux whether yeah, it was going to happen. Yeah, we were sure You were a little cagey for a while. I've I heard was. interviews. I was cagey. Well, so, it wasn't happening. I can't say yeah when it's not happening. <laughs> so so yes, it's happening. happening. So who are you playing in, in that one? Uh, I'm only going to tell you I'm playing a guy called King Vortigan. Okay. 
And is this, I mean, it has to be knowing it's Guy. It's a different take on what is a familiar tale. Yeah, it's Guy's take. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. This is yeah. exciting. Yeah, that'll be fun. Um, and that's a big, crazy, interesting world to, just, yeah. with a unique voice like Guy at the helm. It's got to be exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. I'm excited to work with him again. He runs, for a man who works on now big movies, he runs a very happy, yeah. uh, to use a, a, a phrase, refer to Black Sea, very, runs a very happy boat. Nice, nice. <laughs> uh, and to wrap it up, I know you, you have to run because it's, it's a fun junket day. Congratulations, yeah. you're in the middle of a junket. Um, I, I'm, I am just curious because I did get a chance to see Spy. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, talk to me a little bit. You're one of the few. I, I, I'm lucky that way. It's a fun movie. Have you seen it yet? I have, yeah. It's pretty crazy yeah. just to see the cast assembled and yeah. these disparate the people. Weird, I, I keep saying this is the weirdest cast. It's bizarre. Okay, <laughs> hang on, 50 Cent, Miranda Hart. <laughs> Jason Statham. Great, he's hysterical in it. Yeah. Was um was that? I mean, do you get nervous in that context? You've done comedy before, obviously, but this is this is the closest you're going to do to like yeah, Bond, comedy, I guess. Versus, I don't know. Comedy is not like. Um, I mean, I don't want to give too much away. I, you know, it was quite clear what I had to carry out. Yeah. And other than that, it wasn't like I had to match Melissa, who is the queen. Uh, you know. And, and reigning kind of champion at, at that quick-witted, uh, clearly spontaneous kind of comedy. It wasn't like that wasn't my, right. um, that, wasn't, that wasn't on the list. Right. So I kind of knew what I had to add to the piece, and, and it was just a thrill to sit back and watch how Paul works, how Melissa works, obviously. Yeah, it works. It's, it's a crazy one. I think that's going to be another a big one for you guys. Um, congratulations on this one. As I said, it's a, it's a, it's a testament to these, these latest two films I've seen, to the kind of career you've crafted, and, and I appreciate just chatting a little bit about Me this too. crazy this career. Fun. Good stuff, man. Thanks, as always. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Thank Jude. You. Appreciate it, man. That's the show, guys. I'm Josh Horowitz. This has been Happy, Sad, Confused. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Hit me up on Twitter, Joshua Horowitz. Go over to wolfpop.com. Check out all the amazing shows over there. And most importantly, check back in next week for another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Hop. Pop? Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear.